Well, good morning. It's good to be with Living Hope Church this morning. I assume I'm looking at a bunch of smiling faces today. I'm sure that's true. So, wonderful to be with you guys uh, in worship. Thank you for worshiping with us. Thank you for being with us wherever you are this morning. Um, I'm excited uh, to get into the Word of the Lord this morning. Guys, this is a sanctuary. This place is different. We gather as the body of Christ, and this is, this is where we know Christ is Lord. This is where we know that God sits on the throne, and we have an opportunity as his children, uninhibited and unhindered, to worship him as King of Kings. It is beautiful to be able to do this together. Amen? Amen. If you'd grab your Bibles and turn with me, please, to the book of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 6 today. We're going to begin reading in verse 10 here in just a moment. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. But as you turn, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you as King of kings and Lord of lords, but not as a God who is distant, not as um, some kind of king who is surrounded by a wall and distant from his people, but one who is present with us a king who even incarnated himself and walked among us, a king who willingly went to the cross and defeated the grave and is seated on the right hand of the throne of God and is our soon-and-coming king, a God who is with us this morning, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, our comforter, our helper, the spirit of truth, the one who leads us into everything about Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, lead us this morning. Be our comfort, be our guide, be our courage today in your presence, in your power, and in your word. Heavenly Father, have your way in the lives of your children today. In your magnificent name we pray, amen. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 is where we're going to start reading here in just a moment. Guys, I believe that if you have the eyes to see it, The demonic activity in our world is obvious. I really do. It is on the surface of our culture. And if you are sensitive to it, if you understand the Word of God, if if you have eyes to see it, I believe that we are watching it manifest itself all around us. Now, some of you hear me say that and you think, right on, amen, somebody's got to say it. Some of you hear me say that and you think, what on earth does that mean? How does this guy think he knows how this kind of stuff works? Some of you might even be thinking, well, I thought we were done with all of that ancient medieval hocus pocus kind of stuff. It may not be popular or even common to believe in or even try to understand demonic activity or spiritual activity, but we don't gauge truth on the things that are popular. We listen to the Word of God and we take it seriously, and we want to understand what God's Word has to say to us a day today about these kinds of issues. Guys, the fact is the spiritual world exists and is populated by God and His divine creatures and our enemy and His demonic creatures. One of the mistakes, one of the common mistakes our culture makes is to believe that all spiritual activity is somehow good or benign and that some vague sense of spirituality really doesn't matter what it is. As long as you're connected to the spiritual world somehow, it's all going to be good. 
all going to be okay. That's, that's a popular fallacy in our culture today. The spiritual realm is not all good. There is good there and there is evil there. There is powerful good there. And there is powerful evil there as well. It is fascinating to us today that Paul's final note to the Ephesians in this book is to be strong in the Lord and to be ready to deal with spiritual warfare. This book by many scholars is considered Paul's magnum opus, this theologically rich and dense book. And Paul brings all of it to an end by telling us, be strong in the Lord and be ready for what's happening in the spiritual realm because it has very real consequences in our world and in our lives. This is not relegated for a handful of people who might have a unique spiritual gift of discernment or whatever you may want to call it. This is not relegated for disciples who are especially mature and and sort of further down the path than we are. Paul intends all of us to be sensitive to and aware of these issues. And in fact, Paul has kind of prepared us for this passage of Scripture many ways inside of this book. We get here and we go back to the beginning of this book and read it through with this lens, and we see this theme a lot. Some examples, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, tell us that Christ is risen from the dead and has been given all authority and dominion in heaven and on earth. All authority and dominion in heaven and on earth. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, tells us that there is a prince of the power of the air, who is at work among those who do evil among us. There really is a prince of the power of the air. Ephesians 2.16 tells us that Christ has the power and the authority to kill all hostility and to make everything one inside of himself. That would become a critical marker for us in understanding how to discern spiritual activity. Chaos or unity. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 tells us that the church is God's revelation of his power and his will to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. That same language of the rulers and authorities in heavenly places is going to be used in our passage of Scripture today. Now, I know that this topic can become a little daunting. This topic can become a little strange. Some of us might even have some some odd sort of experiences in our background when it comes to spiritual warfare. So as we enter into this topic over the next few weeks, I want to make sure we see something clearly. And this will be our touchstone because I believe it is Paul's touchstone in this passage. We need to understand this one truth. Jesus has already won. He has all authority and we are his children. Okay? Jesus has already won. He has all authority, and we are his children. A.W. Tozer, that wonderful pastor theologian, put it like this. While it looks like things are out of control, behind the scenes there is a God who has not surrendered his authority. God does not surrender his authority to anyone or anything. So guys, Paul's last words to the Ephesian church could not be more relevant to us right now. So we need to take what he has to say seriously to understand how he talks about spiritual warfare and apply his prescription. He has a prescription. How do we do this? How do we see this? 
How do we discern the work of the Spirit of God versus the work of the Spirit of our enemy? How do we understand these things? He actually has a roadmap for us. So our roadmap today in the passage that we're going to read, three thoughts are going to help us understand this. First of all, the Lord is our strength. If He is our strength in this battle, we need to be closer to Him than ever before, and we need to stick to the general's strategy. This passage is full of martial imagery, of military imagery. We need to be as close to Him as possible, and we need to stick to His strategies. The Lord is our strength. Secondly, our enemy is spiritual. This is an important perspective change for us. It's something that we need to understand in this passage, and then we need to begin to flesh out on a daily basis with ourselves, with our um, family, our relations, our work as we watch the news. Our perspective is this. Our enemy, our actual enemy is unseen, not what we see with our physical eyes. And Paul says our real enemy is behind what is seen. So you and I need to develop the ability to develop the perspective to see what the enemy is up to and to treat him as the enemy and not what we see as the enemy. And that's hard to do. That's really hard to do, especially in turbulent times. But this is the perspective Paul wants us to have. Our enemy is spiritual. And then thirdly, take up the armor of God. The armor of God are the tools that actually work when it comes to this. So how do we pick them up? How do we use them? What are they? What are the things that God wants us to use when we speak of the armor of God? And that's what we're going to dig into over the next two or three weeks. But we need to take up the armor of God. So let's read our passage today in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. This morning, we're going to get through verse 13. So verse 10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Finally, be strong in the Lord. This last note that Paul wants to strike in this incredible book, I want you to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, and not yours, and not mine. Guys, this activity of learning what it means to be strong in the Lord and to take up His might and His strength, this needs to become the first and the natural response of the believer to the world around us and the struggles within us. The first step we take when we run up against that anxiety and fear, when we run up against that opposition, when we run up against that confusion, our first step needs to be, where is God? The strength of the Lord. I need to rely on Him more and more. So we need to habituate this response. It needs to become natural to us to lean into God more and more all the time. 
You see, guys, our temptation always is, and it's a natural temptation. It's just built into us, is that when we sort of hit that roadblock or that confusion or that anxiety is to rely on whatever strengths and gifts and resources we have. Well, what's my strength? What am I able to do? And when we go there first, we begin to work with tools in the physical, natural realm that don't have the same effectiveness in the spiritual realm that the tools that God has do. So we pick up the wrong tools when we rely on our own strength. Or maybe we want to rely on other people who may have more power and influence in this world and we just happen to agree with their point of view and we hope that they will get done in this world the things that we think need to get done so we rely on their strength to get it done. It's not what Paul says. Finally, brothers and sisters in Christ, be strong in the strength of the Caesar that you like best right? Be strong in the strength of the Lord and in His might. The other temptation is a temptation I think we all face, a worry, a concern that we all face when things get difficult. And that is to, I can't tell you how often I feel like this, curl up, a ball, curl up in a ball, sit in a corner, and just wait for it to all be done, Right? Just kind of whistle during the storm and just wait for the sky to clear and everything will be over. Paul says, I need you to learn how to stand firm and, and do all of this. Take up the armor of God with stand and stand, right? So we can't just curl up and walk away. We have to be engaged in the right kinds of ways. So guys, instead of relying on our own strength, the strength of other human beings who we think have the kind of power we want, or sort of disappearing and waiting for it all to be over, recognize this, the child of God has access to the Creator and the Lord of all things, and we are called to rely upon His power. I love that image that Pastor Ryan just used. The door is always open to the Heavenly Father. We have access to His strength and to His might. So guys, our fear or our anxiety in the face of cultural upheaval or spiritual warfare really can be turned into confident hope. So instead of that fear and anxiety that often rises up within us to learn how to stand in the strength of the Lord, all of that can be turned into confident hope. So God is constantly working on behalf of His children. He is constantly working on behalf of His church. God has not ignored you. God has not left us behind. God has not been overwhelmed or, out by, or outmaneuvered by any cultural upheaval. He is always at work. This wonderful passage of Scripture in the book of Zechariah, it's in Zechariah chapter 4, God has been giving these incredible visions to Zechariah about his power, and he keeps using physical individuals around Zechariah, an actual priest and an actual governor, and he uses them as, as sort of stand-ins, as examples for what God is going to do and what his spirit is going to do. And as he uses these human individuals as stand-ins for what God is going to do, God tells Zechariah this in chapter 4, verse 6. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You have priests, 
You have governors. You have people who have certain kinds of influence and power in this world, but that's not the power that's going to make this happen. It is by my power, by my spirit. It says the Lord of hosts. There are all these magnificent names for God in the Old Testament. In the book of Zechariah and some other prophets use this name for God over and over and over again. He is the Lord of hosts. What does that mean? The message paraphrases it and pulls out what the text means. He is the Lord of angel armies. I am the Lord of military hosts. That's what that phrase means. It's by my power that these, are throwing, these things are going to happen. So our habituated response to all things needs to, be, needs to be drawn near to Jesus Christ. So three questions, guys, for all of us to answer in a context like this. First of all, what does the Word of God have to say? What does the Word of God have to say? This is a temptation. Now, I've, I've grown up in Pentecostal charismatic circles all of my life. And I've watched these things happen. I've been a part of some of these uh, Bible studies and some of these special evenings. And these people kind of blow through town and they have a special gift. And you, you come and you kind of watch things happen. And uh, what is often the case when it comes to the topic of spiritual warfare, for some reason, Christians tend to sort of close this book and move off into some other direction and do some weird stuff. First thing we need to ask is what does this say? What does the Word of God say? Paul actually gives us a road map for how this happens. So God has given this to us so that we can understand who He is and what His will is like. Don't let other people read this for you. Learn to read it and hear it yourself. Acts chapter 17, verse 11 is this beautiful passage of Scripture. The Apostle Paul has been on his missionary journey, and he travels through Thessalonica, and a bunch of people try to, uh, try to kill him, and he's kicked out of Thessalonica, and he goes to Berea. And the text says, those in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether those things really were true. This is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. And the text says, Nobility or wisdom in the Christian life is to open this thing up and discern what is true. What does the Word of God have to say? Second question, and these are actually quite straightforward, guys. How is my prayer life? Develop the habit of turning to Christ in prayer all the time. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to start with, okay, I need to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and spend two hours in really intense prayer and intercession. Maybe that's what you do. But maybe what you do is this. Every moment you think of it, you just go, Jesus, I need you more right now. Jesus, I want to be with you today. Be in front of my eyes. Jesus, be in my lips today. Jesus, guide my steps today. Jesus, transform my emotions today. It can just be that simple. Habituate the activity of drawing closer to Jesus Christ, even in the most simple of moments. And then thirdly, what is my connection with other believers like? The strategy of divide and conquer is not an empty slogan. Guys, it is not an empty slogan. Christians who are divided from a healthy body of believers are easy prey. 
They're really easy prey. If they don't, and as I've watched this happen as a pastor, people who separate themselves from the church for one reason or another, if they don't just stop going to church altogether, they slide into heretical teaching rather easily. Believers who are disconnected from a healthy Bible teaching, praying, worshiping church become easy prey for the enemy. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be us. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This is proactive. To know what the armor of God is. and To actually develop a strategy for putting it on. For paying attention to it. For learning what it is. And that's the next section here in Ephesians chapter 6. Like we said it before, these are the tools that work when it comes to spiritual warfare. These are the tools that work for you individually. These are the tools that work for our families. These are the tools that work for those who need to know Jesus Christ. These are the ones that work. And notice this. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. All right, we need to understand this. We need to say this clearly, guys. This is real. This is not metaphor. This is real. This is not metaphorical. He's not using old-fashioned terms like the devil that just talk about general bad stuff that happens to people. He means an actual spiritual individual who is scheming to separate you from Jesus Christ for all of eternity. Okay? This is real. This is not metaphorical. The spiritual realm contains all kinds of beings who will do the will of God, and it contains beings who will try to destroy the will of God and try to destroy people. C.S. Lewis's uh, wonderful book, Screwtape Letters. Again, if you haven't read it, the quote makes no sense if I don't describe what the book is like. It is one demon writing to another demon about how to separate a human being from their faith from Jesus Christ for all of eternity. So all the advice given in the Screwtape Letters is exactly the opposite of the Christian life, but it has this profound insight. And at one point, the young demon is thinking, what I need to do is show up in his bedroom in the middle of the night and scare him. And the older, more wiser, tempter demon screw tape, he says, no, 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 no. That's not what you do. Here's what we love to do. We love to convince them that we don't exist. And if we can convince them of that, we have them. Here's part of what screw tape writes. The fact is that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination. It will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuading him that since he cannot believe in that, it is an old textbook method of confusing them, he therefore cannot believe in you. It's a caricature. It's a silly thing. It's stuff that old people believed, you know, back in the day. And so I can't believe in that anymore, so I can't believe in the actual devil. It's, it's a distraction technique, Screwtape says. And if it works, we have them. It says here that the devil has schemes. 
It's an interesting word that the Apostle Paul uses. It is the same word that Romans would use to speak of military strategy. This really is the schemes of the devil. It really is, in Paul's mind, like a military strategy against the children of God and against the church of Jesus Christ. The devil is actively working against us, studying us. He knows how to get to us. He knows how to deceive us. He knows how to tempt us. He knows how to destroy us. He is our enemy general at work against Christ and His church. So Paul says, I need you to take up the full armor of God so that you know how to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, this isn't just a one-off here in the book of Ephesians. This is often how Scripture speaks of the work of our enemy in our lives. The disciple Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, and listen to how this text builds up to this sort of famous line about our enemy. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This is Peter's way of saying, be strong in the Lord. Humble yourself under His mighty power. And He is the one who will raise you up. I need you to think clearly. I need you to grow in your walk with Christ. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Why? Because He's active. He desires to separate you from your heavenly Father. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 Paul simply says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. We understand what they are and how they work, and we can't be outwitted, outdone, outsmarted by him. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is this incredible passage of Scripture that a lot of it has to do with uh, the rise of this this final world order and this final world leader who will deceive many and draw many away from God and God's kingdom into the kingdom of Satan. And this is part of how the text describes how this works. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 11. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. What is the first thing we pick up with the armor of God? Truth. Paul says here's how People are deceived. They actually refuse to love the truth that is in Jesus Christ. And when that happens, they're swooped up by the enemy and they're drawn away by falsehood, false power, false miracles, false ideas, right? So this is unsettling in many ways, but the solution is already contained in Paul's description of the situation. Those who refuse to love truth become easy targets. 
So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. All right, again, the language here is intense. Now, the first thing our minds are drawn to are, wow, what does all of this mean? Rulers and authorities and cosmic powers and present darkness. What does all of that mean? The first word I want us to hear is wrestle. What we don't wrestle against is flesh and blood. What we do wrestle against is all of these other things, all of this other stuff. How many of you wrestled in high school or college? That's close combat. You don't wrestle from 20 feet. There's no social distancing in wrestling, is there? This implies it's right here. This is intense. We think when we read this language, rulers and authorities and cosmic powers, we think of those gigantic things in other places in Washington, D.C., and New York, and Tokyo, and Paris, and London. And sure enough, that kind of thing really is the case. But Paul says, it's right here. What we're wrestling against right now is close to us. It happens in our hearts, our minds, our lives, our marriages, our families, our places of work. This is where it happens. It's enormously intimate. The battlefield is intimate when it comes to this. It is in us. It is right around us. But because the battlefield is close to us, this is also where Christ can have complete victory. That victory is imminent. That victory is close to us. It is intimate when we learn how to take up and use what Christ gives us. This is where healing and restoration can happen. And this is where advances against the enemy can actually occur. Not just out there in the great big spaces, but right here in our flesh and blood lives. For this is what we wrestle against. So, this is this incredibly important perspective change for believers. We are striving against spiritual forces, not against the flesh and blood around us. I have to, and I don't know about you, maybe you guys are much better at this than I am, I have to remind myself of this kind of thing constantly. I probably watch too much news. I'll admit that to you. I probably watch too much news. And then what happens when I watch too much news? Well, I just ought to, well, they just need to, right? We begin wrestling against flesh and blood. Paul says, you wrestle against what's happening in the unseen. We need to learn how to wrestle against what's happening behind what we see. This is important for the follower of Jesus Christ because who and what we see around us become easy targets for our anger and anxiety and our fear, even what happens in our own flesh. But guys, the enemy can use that. The enemy uses that constantly, causing all the wrong kinds of division and strife and anger. In fact, guys, so much of what is going on literally in our culture right now is exactly the kind of chaos the enemy wants to create between us. 
This is an example of the deception of our enemy. And this is part of why I say if we have eyes to see it, the demonic activity is clear to us. Recreating hatreds between entire classes of people in order to perpetuate this downward spiral of chaos and hate. This is demonic. But Christians can break this cycle by being able to see behind the flesh and blood to our real enemy and what he is up to. Every one of those people whom you disagree with or whom I see as causing chaos in our culture is a human being created in the image of God and for whom Jesus died. And I have to remember that. They are tools of the enemy, just as there are times in my life where I have become a tool of the enemy's schemes. Paul goes on to great lengths to name these things. He uses this fascinating string of terms to speak of it. He speaks of rulers. We're wrestling against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. All of these are terms for spiritual beings and spiritual forces. It's not a uniform group of things. As we walk through Scripture and we see even the throne room of God or we watch these things happen and unfold in Scripture, there's not just sort of, so to speak, one group of angels and one group of demons. It is a manifold group of divine beings with different kinds of roles and authorities and powers as Scripture unfolds them for us. One of the phrases that Paul uses here is a phrase that catches our imagination, and it is actually a word that Paul made up. It's unique to him. When he speaks of cosmic forces over this present darkness, it's a unique word, and it just means cosmic forces. The words that Paul puts together mean world rulers. Now, that's interesting. This is what we're wrestling against. And over this present darkness... What Paul is telling us is that there are divine world rulers who create chaos. They, they, they preside over the creation of chaos. <laughs> so guys, political philosophies, legal philosophies, economic philosophies, educational philosophies, individuals who stoke Chaos and division are being driven by demonic forces. Driven by demonic forces. A passage of Scripture that we read in Christmas and we sing and we hear tells us that the Son who is born to us is the Prince of Peace. One of the tools that we pick up that are effective for spiritual warfare is that we shod our feet with the gospel of peace. One of the passages in the Scripture that sort of gives us this really unique glimpse into the kind of thing I believe the Apostle Paul is speaking of here, cosmic powers that rule over this present darkness, is Daniel chapter 10. And I'll let you go back and read that passage of Scripture 
But Daniel has all of these fascinating interactions with the spiritual realm. And in Daniel chapter 9, most of that chapter is Daniel realizing what God is getting ready to do. So he goes to the Lord in prayer and he's repenting on behalf of his nation. And he prays in that prayer, Lord, act. Lord, do on behalf of your people what only you can do. And then he begins to see things and these, these divine beings begin to show up. And in Daniel chapter 10, there's just this fascinating glimpse where this angelic being, this prince, as the text puts it, shows up to Daniel and says, I was actually in battle against the prince of Persia, and during your prayers, I was released because another prince, the prince Michael, came and relieved me so that I could come to you and I could reveal to you what is going to happen, and that's Daniel 10, 11, and 12, but Daniel gets just this really quick glimpse into these world rulers that preside over chaos and how God's spiritual realm is warring against that spiritual realm and what the power of prayer can actually do. We need to be people of prayer because it has consequences in this world and in the unseen world as well. So this important perspective shift for us, guys. People may be evil or used by evil forces, but they are people made in the image of God. God, in the image of God, people for whom Christ died. And so Paul says we are asked, Paul says we are told to move our attention away from that and onto our actual enemy. Take up the whole armor of God is what he tells us next. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So it's at this point that Paul now begins this roadmap. What we need to do in the face of the schemes of our enemy and what is going on around us. So do I want to see more clearly through the fog of our culture? Do I want to find a firm place to stand, a firm place to put my feet when everything else seems to be shifting around me? Do I want to know how to confront my enemy? Paul says, put on the armor of God. Put on the armor of God. I think this is important, guys. The thrust of this passage of Scripture, when it comes to spiritual warfare, and again, many of us have probably, you know, uh, wrestled with how this happens or, or, you know, even had some weird experiences in the past. The thrust of this passage of Scripture is not go out there, find the devil, and whoop him. The thrust of this passage of Scripture, when we speak of spiritual warfare, is saturate yourself in the character of Jesus Christ. That's the thrust of this passage. Everything listed that is the armor of God is the character and the power of Jesus Christ. Then he says, you will withstand. Then you will stand. Then when the moment is right to be proactive, you will know how to do it and you will be ready. That's the thrust of this passage of Scripture. And so if you learn to do this, we can stand firm in the evil day, he says. Paul's sense is that we are in that day, but it is not yet complete. It will continue to roll itself out until Christ the King comes. 
So instead of beginning with the kinds of tools that you and I have at our own personal disposal, we train ourselves to begin with the tools that God gives us. And just so that we have it in our heads, and we'll come back next time and we'll begin to dig into these, but here's what Paul says about the tools that we use for spiritual warfare. Verse 14, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So this is where we're headed. This is what we pick up. This is what Paul says is the roadmap for spiritual warfare. Guys, every Christian is a warrior. And let's not be afraid to use that kind of language when it comes to this passage of Scripture. Every follower of Jesus Christ is a warrior, not against flesh and blood, but against the powers that lie behind what we see, the powers that are working against the will of God and are trying to destroy human beings whom Jesus loves. This is real. This isn't metaphor. This isn't magic. They are tools given to us by God that are real and tangible and we can work on it and we can develop it and they can be picked up by every follower of Jesus Christ. And Paul wants you to make it. How many times in this passage does he, stay with, does he say, I want you to withstand the schemes of the I need you to stand. I need you to stand. I need you to stand. And after all of that, stand <laughs> and pray with all endurance. Paul wants us to make it. So we are, as, as we learn in the book of Hebrews, we are not among those who lose our faith and shrink back. We don't fall. We don't give in. What we do is we speak the truth in love. We encourage one another. And we stand firm in the truth of the really good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray.